0: Amen. Amen. Tonight we begin uh, session one of our class called Disciples Who Make Disciples. It's really just a discipleship class. And as you look in Scripture, throughout Scripture, especially obviously the Gospels, Paul's 13 letters, and the others that are in the New Testament, discipleship's not a little issue, it's a massive issue. And I want to make sure that I say this up front that as we walk through, this is session one tonight called The Call to Discipleship. But as we walk through these six weeks together, it's, it's really important that each week, um, somehow, if you're a part of this class, that you hear each week, because it's gonna build on itself. I've designed it in, in such a way where I've packed as much as I can into each week to build one on another. Uh, conceptually, it all kind of comes together in the end. But I wanna take... Two or three to four weeks and talk about being a disciple, and then I want to take somewhere around three weeks, or whatever's left over, and talk about making disciples. Because the truth is is that we can't make a disciple of Jesus unless we truly are a disciple of Jesus. And some of what you're going to see and some of what you're going to hear in this class is I'm going to talk about what the Bible says when it when it talks about discipleship, what Jesus said. And the more I've studied this, the more that I've sought to walk it out, the more I find that I am reorganizing, readjusting and changing what I believe or what I've been told to what the Bible actually says. I've said this before, but I think it's interesting that we tend to see the Bible and kind of bring it down to our level. We look at it at times and we go, that's not really doable, or that doesn't really seem like it's possible, and and I would tell you that's actually a good thought to have. The thought that you and I would have where it's not doable or somehow it's not that possible, it means that we need God to live out what God calls us to, and that's something, (laughs) it means we need the Holy Spirit to live the kind of life that is led by the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's not a new concept, but it's important that when we look at scriptures on this particular topic, you'll see Jesus say provocative things that we don't want to somehow try to easily get out of. We want to clarify, we want to define, we want to understand so that we're sure and we're certain that what we're doing is what Jesus called us to. I don't, I don't want to do some other thing, I don't want to do some other program or even what Christianity tells us that it is today, or this preacher, or this church, or whatever. I just want to go with what scripture says, and my prayer for the new year has actually been that God would make me not bold in the sense of I'm getting something off my chest. That's not, that's not a healthy thing, but as I speak the truth, I don't, I don't want to mince words. I don't want to try to make it palatable. I, don't, I, don't, I want to just put Jesus's words in front of people, and, and that's where we land that's what we're after that's what we want that's the desire that's in our hearts and sometimes we get uncomfortable and this is one of those topics believe it or not you may not think that in the beginning of the class but you probably will think that by the end of tonight that there are things that Jesus says that you can't just wink at you can't just nod at you you, you can't just try to pay homage to or lip service to they're challenging to your core if you really consider what he's saying And I'm gonna make sure that we don't easily get out of that. But I wanna say to you like right up front that this isn't impossible. This is only possible because God is empowering us to live the life that he calls us to. And without knowing that, you'll read passages or you will read scripture, I'll read scripture and we will simply just go, I don't know about that or I'm not really sure what that means or I don't know how to go about it. We will find ourselves in that predicament quite often. And so I wanna tell you right up front that this is gonna be one of those topics. As we talk about the call to discipleship or the call of discipleship, I'm, I'm going to try to clearly talk about what discipleship is. What does it mean? What truly is the invitation of Jesus to his disciples? And that's what we are today. We are modern day disciples of Jesus Christ. We're not direct disciples of Jesus. He only had so many of those. But the teachings, the sayings, The truths that he gave to them, he obviously wants them to be reproduced in our lives, and that, in turn, we want to give to others. And so it's important that we get this thing straight in the call of discipleship. As we learn about this, I wanna make sure that you are prepared to examine yourselves. I want you to be able to examine yourself before the Lord. There's a concept in church, and, and really it comes from scripture, called the fear of God. When I think of the fear of God, I I sort of have this weird illustration that I want to share with you. It's important though. But I think of like my wife who's in the back, her name's Bridget. When I say something from a stage or whatever and it involves a date of some kind, She's my date checker, my fact checker on those things. Typically, I'm good at most things, but when it comes to dates, I'm like, you know, it was February, March, April, June, July. I'm not I'm really sure. And then, I, and then what I do is when I say something, I look at my wife to see what's on her face. You know, is she, is she is she cool with what I'm saying? Because then I know like the date's probably there. It's like I'm right in that pocket, that sweet spot. But if she's kind of like, you know, because she, she'll, she'll definitely show it. And, and so we thank you for grace, but, uh, but she'll show it and she'll say, no, it was January or whatever. She, she's usually very respectful about that because that's what's sitting in the back. Thank you, hon, I appreciate that. But, um, but anyways, uh, she'll, I'll, but it's funny how I start to get a little vulnerable when I start talking about a date or something because I know that she is sure about the thing I'm starting to tread water on. Do you, you understand? And I think like as a, as a person who lives before the Lord, it's an illustration that I think of when I think of the fear of God. It's that whatever I say or however I'm living or whatever I'm doing, it's like I'm constantly aware of the one that really knows everything. I, I'm aware that when I say something or when I'm living that he's present and he knows what it's supposed to be like. He knows the truth of everything, and so even as I'm speaking, it's like if anything's exaggerative or anything's some, somehow not true, it's like, Lord, is that, is that, <laughs> is that, is that right, Lord? I, I, I live with the presence of God ever mindful. He's right here, right now, and that's the way that I seek to live my life. That, to me, is the fear of God. I'm always, I'm always in reverence of God with me living in community with me, living in relationship with me all the time. That's the fear of God to me, and I think that we walk into this subject, I, I think we should, with a healthy fear of the Lord and examining ourselves. Are you a disciple of Jesus? I'm not asking you if you believe in Jesus. That, that's what we ask people today. We ask people, do you believe in Jesus? But we often don't know the word believe in the Bible doesn't mean like mental assent. It actually means, do you believe unto? In other words, you wholly, completely rely upon. That's what the amplified version would say. Yes, sir. Is that anybody have a suburban? And, oh, that's yours. Okay, you have to move it. Like and it, oh oh, thank you, thank you, thanks, Tim. Sorry, guys, you can't park in those first four spots. You didn't know that. So, but anyways, just to continue, um, when it when it comes to this issue, I wanna make sure that we're examining ourselves because today we teach believing in Jesus, which is, which is right. I mean, it's not wrong, but it's not all that the Bible talks about when Jesus calls us into relationship with him, calls us to follow him. That's not exactly what he's talking about. And so we kinda of move into Paul's letters and we, we really try to follow Paul a lot is what people do. It's Pauline theology is what they call it. And I think we need to look at Paul through the lens of Jesus and not Jesus through the lens of Paul. It's important that we get that straight. There, there, there's a way in which that we have to see following Jesus by the words of Jesus. And Paul's words help us, but we've gotta go back to Jesus's words as well. They, they work together, but I think often we reduce some of this down to believing as like a mental thing. We believe in Jesus and, and we're going to heaven, but it, it, what we, we haven't committed ourselves to following him everywhere into everything that he wants us to do. And before you and I check out and think that's what we're doing, I think it's important to examine if that's what we are doing in fact. Again, I'm not asking you if you're a believer in Jesus. It's not what I'm asking but we can't wash over these words so quickly when Jesus calls us to stuff, especially the illustrations or the metaphors that he uses. They're very, they're severe. They're costly. And so we, we see that, we're going to see that very, very clearly. As Jesus uh, began his ministry, he almost immediately chose his disciples. I mean, there's, as you'll see, there's a couple of them, and then it just continues down that way where he kind of comes down the mountain one day and chooses his 12 disciples. And in ancient times this word disciple was used not just as a disciple of Jesus, but it was it was literally it literally means a learner or a student. So when we talk about being a disciple of Jesus, we're talking about being a learner of Jesus, the way of Jesus. And so you look at the Greeks were disciples of philosophy and the Pharisees were disciples of procedures through their interpretation of the law. The zealots were disciples of protest. They were disciples of conflict, in fact. You know, they wanted to overrun and overturn things as they were. The disciples of Christ were disciples of a person. They were disciples of the person of Christ. And the clear call of discipleship is that, to be the learner of Jesus Christ, which is then what we teach other people to be a follower and a learner of Jesus Christ. Not just a church, not just a procedure, not just a a, a set of morals or being nice people. It's to follow a person and all that he is and all that he says and all that he wants. And our whole life is absorbed into that one thing. Our whole life fits into that one thing, is to be a follower of him. And so that's who we are. In Jesus' time, you would also see like uh, this concept was more accepted than it is today, which is why we have to adjust. We have to make some adjustments. And you'll see that is that, you know, like for example, a, a son would almost always do the work of his father. He would, he would be raised into, if his father was a carpenter, the son would be a carpenter. It was a form of discipleship. That was the way that it, it was. The modern word would be like an apprentice or we use the word mentor, but I think the word mentor as a modern word for disciple or discipleship, it's not quite the right word because I th- when I think of like mentor or I think of like the way in which we look at the word mentor, it's almost like I'm going to get so-and-so to mentor me to be a better teacher or I'm going to get so-and-so to mentor me to be a better person or be a better student or be a better, uh, to be a better parent. And so we kind of look at it like I can have 10 mentors and they can mentor me on all of these issues of life and never really have to mentor me in life. It's almost like we have a whole new way of looking at mentoring. And so I don't like to use the word mentoring, not because it doesn't have some truth to what we're kind of going after in discipleship, but I think it, it almost culturally means something, at least in the Western world, it means something a little bit different. And I think we, we kind of have... Have to know that up front. So I use the word disciple, and I use the word discipleship uh, not because the word's more holy, but I think it, it stands apart from maybe whatever we've put onto the words that we might use as a modern equivalent. And so I want to kind of say that to you up front. The ancient world, they were more accepting of this concept. Like you would have a rabbi, and a rabbi would have students, or he would have schools of students, and those students, whenever a rabbi called a student to walk with them, or to learn from them, they were to learn the way of that rabbi, they were to learn the knowledge of that rabbi, and eventually they were to replace that rabbi, eventually. That's why Jesus would say something like, a student is not above his teacher, but when when all the students are fully trained, they're to be like their teacher. In other words, at some point, you're to do what I do, you're to be what I am, and so in those days, it wasn't like just come to my class, it was come and, and be a part of my school, live life with me, do life with me so that you can see the way that I live, the things that I say, the, the way that I go, and I want you to be that way. And so that commitment that followed that was visible, it was tangible, it was real. And it, it, it is often one of those things where even today I've seen people that live in community together and they do life close in close proximity and they have what I would see as more of that would mirror more of a first century discipleship model. And some folks look at that and they think of that as like cultish or controlling. And I think that we actually are the ones that need to adjust because we live in an isolated time. We live in an independent time. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me where to go. Don't tell me how to live my life. I am independent. (laughs) We live under the declaration of independence, not just as a country, but as individuals. I think we've almost individualized that declaration, even though most of us have never read it. It's actually for a people and our freedom. But it's important that you and I grab a hold of this concept that God's called us to live in community and discipleship community at that. So I want to talk to you about a few things as we get into the call of discipleship. And the first one is we need to understand the invitation of discipleship. As we consider the call of discipleship, we need to look at some of these moments in scripture where Jesus just simply approached someone and called them into this thing, called discipleship. And the first one is Simon and Andrew in Mark chapter 1, verse 16. And and in 19 and 20, verse 19 and 20, we see James and John as well. I'll just read all of them, Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 16. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, this is Jesus, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men immediately, that's what Mark always says, immediately they left their nets and they followed Jesus. Going on a little further, verse 19, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they went away to follow him. And Jesus calls them to follow him. He says, follow me. And then he probably just keeps walking. I mean, he just keeps going. And, and they have a split second seemingly to decide what's about to happen. You see also in Matthew, or in Matthew chapter nine where a man named Matthew is called. He's also called Levi. As Jesus went on from there, uh, verse nine, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth and he said to him, follow me, and Matthew got up and followed him. I mean, isn't that amazing to you? He walks up to men, and they're in the middle of their profession, and he's not disturbed by that at all. He's not worried about the details whatsoever. You and I would be worried about the details. We would be wondering about our nets, we would be wondering about our tax collector booth, we would be wondering about our employer and our employees. Jesus says, follow me, and they just follow him. It's incredible. We also have another story that's not as incredible, Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. This is the story of the rich young ruler. And it says this in verse 16, and someone came to him and said, teacher, talking to Jesus, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. And then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? And Jesus said to him, in another version of this in the parallel gospel, it says Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He loved him. Jesus didn't disbelieve him at all. He loved him. Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. Jesus was touching on something right there. Interesting, interesting point. Luke chapter nine, here's our last one that I'll use. Verse 57 There's sort of a collection of people that Jesus calls to follow him. It says this, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. That's a dangerous declaration. And Jesus says to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. I've got nowhere to sleep tonight. Are you okay with that? (laughs) You made this declaration before you even considered what it is that you're actually saying. And he said to another, follow me. Jesus looks at somebody else, he says, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. People have said this seems insensitive. Culturally, it was not insensitive. It wasn't insensitive at all. For him to say, I wanna go bury my father was not to say that his father was dead, it was to say that let me go and be with my father until he dies and then I'll bury him. It was in his way to honor his father in a sense. And Jesus was saying, essentially, I'm first. Let the dead bury the dead, it's not insensitive. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, listen to Jesus' words, no one, after putting the hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I don't, I wanna be really uh, clear with you guys. I don't hear these kinds of provocative words of Jesus all that often anymore. As a preacher, it's easy to preach the verses that you can give to people and say, this is, this is all the, the lovey stuff, this is all the good stuff. And truthfully, even, even if we just had a little bit of that, it's enough, like the little goes a long way, the love of God, that, none of that ever gets old. But when you read some of these things, these are the, like the responses. To follow Jesus, he's not calling a little bit of us to follow him. He clearly is calling absolutely everything about us to follow him. He doesn't wanna negotiate with anything else, and we'll see that. And so I want to just, from these passages, make some conclusions about the call of discipleship. As we understand the invitation, don't you think it's important to understand the invitation that Jesus is making with us? When he says, come and follow me, when he says, come and be my disciple, what is it that he means by that? And the first from these passages that I can see is the invitation of discipleship offers us first a close relationship with God. I want to I want to say that right up front, and I think this is the most important part. The people that Jesus called to follow him were being offered relationship, close relationship with the Son of God. We, we've taught about the Trinity. Jesus was God the Son in human flesh, and those that chose to follow him, maybe they didn't know that until there was a certain point where Jesus clarified that with his disciples, but what Jesus was that they knew was he was a miracle worker, and they hadn't seen that since the time of Elisha. He was a miracle worker, he was a teacher who had authority, he was casting demons out of people. He was doing the works of the kingdom, things that people were praying for, things that people were believing for. He wasn't just any average rabbi. It was a privilege, it was an honor to walk with Jesus, and those who said yes to his his call of discipleship, they got to be with him, and there really is nothing greater than being with Jesus. There's nothing greater for us. If we want to talk about everything else that we will, we'll talk about the cost of discipleship. We'll talk about the commitment to discipleship. If we don't realize like right up front the privilege of discipleship, we'll miss everything else because that's the most important part. When he calls you, he's calling you first into relationship, into close proximity, that we get to see who he is, what he's like, how he works the power of his word the answer to our prayers we get to see the transformation of people's lives we get to see god do things that nobody else could do there's no other god that's doing anything like jesus we get to see that we're invited into close relationship with him that is the first and the most important thing about discipleship is he's inviting us into relationship before we consider what we're letting go of we need to make sure that we lock in what we're getting we're getting the thing that we all need, we all want. We're all truly after. But the second thing that we also need to realize is the invitation of discipleship demands a clear response. I used to think that you know, the answer of Andrew and Simon and James and John and Matthew, I used to think that was a radical response, but I started to understand the radical invitation because a radical invitation necessitates a radical response. See, these guys were just fishermen. This was, Matthew was just a tax collector. He was most likely not respected in his time. He was disbarred from the synagogue because of who he worked for. He worked for the Gentiles in collecting taxes, and he had to extort people for money. That's actually how you made money if you were a tax collector. You had to collect more than what taxes really were so you could make a living, and you worked for the Gentiles. And so they didn't let a man like this into the synagogue. When a rabbi who performs miracles walks by his tax collector's booth and says, follow me, he's calling him out of a kind of lifestyle that he himself has not come to respect. And so to him, it was a radical invitation because what rabbi would ever do that for this man? What, what rabbi, what man of God would ever stop and pay attention to a man like this? Or fishermen for that matter? who would walk by, you're just fishermen. That's not this amazing occupation in the first century. This stopped by fishermen. Jesus says, follow me. Here's this miracle working rabbi. What man of God would do this for these men? These men knew the privilege. They knew the honor of Jesus offering something like this. And I think, once again, we've got to go back to what I already said in the, the invitation of discipleship is that close relationship, what he's calling us to, and the privilege, the honor that it truly is, but it also demands a very clear response. There's no negotiation in this. Jesus wasn't begging them. Sometimes I get a little nervous when preachers beg people to give their lives to Jesus. Like, come on, you know you want to. (laughs) It's almost like we're doing God a favor. Friends, Jesus went to a cross. He died a bloody death. Innocent man. He was God in human flesh, innocent of everything that everybody said that he was guilty of, he was innocent, they killed him, they crucified him, they beat, we did that to him. And he went to the cross for us, and so when he comes to us and invites us into discipleship, the only reason, in my opinion, that we would resist giving our entire self is because we truly don't understand what he's giving to us. We truly don't understand what he's in- inviting us into. But make no mistake about it, he, he, he's wanting a clear response. Any answer other than a yes is still a no. There's no negotiation here. Radical invitation necessitates a radical response. Jesus invites several people to follow him. Some say yes and follow him and some don't. The rich young ruler walked away sad, didn't he? The the Bible says that he had a lot of things. He had a lot of wealth. He wanted something other than what Jesus was offering him. He wanted to have this relationship with this rabbi but he also wanted to hold on to the things that had his heart. You know, Jesus isn't against having stuff. He's not even against wealth per se, but what he's against is how we use our wealth. Often if we use it just for selfish means, he's against that. The the more that we have is meant to be offered for those that don't have. That that's the fact is is that we live on a planet where lots of people have too much and many more people don't have enough. And God calls his people to share what they have when they have enough. That's exactly what, I mean, I even think that the definition of gluttony is not, you know, we kind of think of ourselves as gluttons when we eat too much at Thanksgiving. You know, like, oh man, I'm just such a glutton. You know, I eat more food than I should. Well, we probably, Americans probably do that Period. I mean, even homeless Americans. I mean, we have more food than we need. But I don't think gluttony is where you have a little bit more turkey than you should have. I think gluttony is that you have more food than you need and you don't share it with those that don't have any. I actually think gluttony is more about that in God's eyes, you really think God's like sitting around going, you had too much turkey. I mean, I really, that's not the sin. I mean, we, for some reason, we, we put it into this health category. Like that's really what God's thinking. God's really upset when we had too much mashed potatoes, you know, and we should have had a little more salad. He, he's not up there like a health coach, which I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I mean, God bless you guys, you know, you know, pro advocate or whatever, I don't know what you're into, but do, you know, do your thing. Okay. But I'm just saying gluttony is really actually about those who have more and they're not sharing with those that have less. That that to me it's 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 like hoarding. It's 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 the same thing as the problem that we could have with wealth. But the invitation of discipleship demands a clear response. And I, and I want to tell you God's probing you. He's 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 touching your heart. He's after you and me. He's not going to like he's not going to like ease off, right? But we can resist the Holy Spirit and how he's seeking to move in our hearts and in our lives, but God is, he, he wants it all. He paid for it all, he paid for all of us. He didn't pay for some of us, he didn't pay for us to just have this you know, life without him that we think of as a material blessing and this and that and the other. He, he paid for all of us, he, he's, he's wanting us to respond to him. And, and, and when we see him the way that he is, the beauty that he truly is, we, we can't say anything, but yes, it's, it's, that, it's that simple. But for some reason the waters get muddy, don't they, over time? They get muddy over time and we have to purify those waters and make sure that we're believing the right things. We're following the right truths. The third thing is the invitation of discipleship defines a new identity. Hearing and heeding the call of discipleship brings about a new identity. He's calling people out of the life that they had and he's bringing them into a new way of living. He's bringing them into a new identity. As a disciple, they understood this. We need to understand this. When we choose to follow our rabbi, Jesus Christ, our teacher, he's the Lord, as we follow him, that actually defines, it redefines who we are because we're called to be like him, we're called to do as he does. When a rabbi would call a student, it's to go where he goes, it's to do what he does. So when we're followers of him, we're going where he goes, we're doing what he does, and it redefines everything about who we are. And the conflicts that we find in life are always wrapped around us resisting going where he's going and doing what he's doing because we're trying to do our own thing and go our own way. And that's where we find a lot of conflict. That's where we find a lot of tension in our walk with the Lord is because we're, we're sort of setting off into a different path. And if you follow scripture, don't you see the people of God constantly wandering and straying away? I mean, isn't that like the MO of humanity? And even those that say that they're Christians, that's just what you see from Genesis to Revelation is people walking with God and then falling away and walking astray, and yet God calls us to walk with them closely. The term, follow me, it's not random. Whatsoever, that term was a strong term. It's a definite article, follow me. You know, follow me, be like me. In essence, everything about us has to change. And I'm not speaking of your personality per se, but I am talking to you about our value system. You know, I, we're giving up our opinions, we're giving up our rights, we're giving up all of our views. Friends, I'm telling you, like we live in an opinionated culture. And I wanna be as clear as I can, if you wanna be a disciple of Jesus, you wanna be a follower of Jesus, you've gotta give him your opinions. We can't have any of that stuff get in the way. To, some of us, we just, we've just gotta offer all of that stuff because we can't be attached to anything else that's trying to define us and what we believe. and what we, It's the word of God, it's the words of God, it's the person of Jesus. He's the one that defines what we are, what we say, what we think. it was to the point where in the first century, they believed it was a cult, ladies and gentlemen. They believed it was a cult. They could identify people that said they were Christians because they even said things like, well, these these are those, they must have been with Jesus. There are comments like that. These guys must have been with Jesus. And today, we're left with multiple philosophies and ideologies and ways about us which is why I talk to you about the fear of God. We have to have the fear of God on our, on our lives. Lord, is this, is this right? Is what I'm saying right? I mean, we live in a, a time where it's just like people are criticizing everyone else for you know coming from the perspective that they're right. Listen, here's who's right, Jesus is right. Jesus is right, okay? I'm not right, you're not right, Jesus is right. And to the degree, that we are following him, that we are living in his word, we are saying what he is saying, we're doing what he is doing, to the degree that you and I are doing that is the degree in which we're right. <laughs> and the crazy thing about it is you don't actually know because we're not our best mirror, if you know what I'm saying. So this is the thing, is, is that as a disciple, What we're saying is we have a new identity in him. I I think it's amazing how people preach the new identity. You have a new identity. You're a son, you're a daughter in God, but they don't realize that you can't keep the old you. You can't hold on to little bits and pieces that make you feel better. Those are the things that hold you back. Those are the things that hold me back, that keep me the person that Jesus has drawn me out of, the person that he's wanting to see crucified, put to death. You don't want that in your future, Ben. You don't want that in your future, It defines us. He defines us. This thing of discipleship, as we follow him, he redefines us. If we're to understand the invitation for what it is, we will give ourselves fully to what is being offered. I believe that 100%. None of these scriptures that I'm about to read to you should be difficult because we understand who is talking to us. You can't let a person like me get in the way. There are preachers or pastors or Bible study leaders or even your own self. You can't let any human being get in the way. You've got to see the words being spoken from the author himself. You have to see that. We have to see that because he's the one that we stand before. He's the one that we give an account to, not your preacher, not your pastor, not your friend, not your Bible study leader, and not your own interpretation. You give an account to Jesus Christ. You and I give an account to Jesus and what we did with his words. And so when we see these words and who it is that's saying them. It's not a difficult thing, it's not a burden something. And it shouldn't be that way. And if you feel that or you sense that burden when you read some of these words, I would say to you, like, hear it from Jesus, the one you love. Hear it from the one that you are following. This is an invitation. We joyfully give all without withholding. An invitation is something we get to do. Get to do. An obligation is something we have to do. And I would ask you as following Jesus become an obligation to you. And I would, define, I would define following Jesus by, since he's physically not with us, following his word closely. We have proved as people that we can be good fans. Am I speaking in Seattle or what? I mean, I don't know, I mean, where am I, okay? We have proved that we are capable of being good followers of those that we like, the preferences that you and I have, the people that we like, the the authors that we like, the musicians that we like, the teams that we like, the people that we like, the people that we follow. We have proved that, you have proved that in yourself. There are things that you like, there are things that you follow, there are people that you listen to. That's just the way that it is. The question is, is Jesus above all of those? And before you and I answer that question, we want to examine whether or not that's true. If I would give you something to take away from this class tonight, I would tell you, don't quickly answer those questions, please. I'm not asking you to be afraid of those questions, I'm saying don't quickly answer them because those questions are the most provocative for each one of us. I could tell you as a pastor, it's easy, to, it's easy for me to think I'm in the word and I pray and people look up to me and I mean, you're here, you're listening to me, I don't know, I don't know if it was the topic or you, you think that what I have to say is, is worthwhile. I would, I would venture to say you might. But it's easy for me to walk away and think, I'm good with God and everything's good and check in the box. And I would tell you, that's not not true. I have to live before God every day. I have to live in this thing of discipleship. Discipleship is not something I just committed to once, it's a following of Jesus day in, day out. And so an obligation is something we have to do, and if you feel that way about the word of God, or you feel that way about your closeness to him in prayer, you feel that way about the things that he calls you to or says over your life, what you're supposed to do in life, he calls us into mission, which we're gonna talk so much about. He calls us into mission. He doesn't, I, 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 I honestly get kind of disgusted for some of the messages these days, like it's all about health and wealth and having your finances all up to par and having all of your relationships are all gonna be great. You know, Jesus said, the world's gonna hate you because the world hated me. I mean, I don't remember the last time you heard a sermon about that, but I just wanna bring up the point, if you're with me on that, Jesus Christ looked at his disciples and he didn't say, guess what, you're gonna have all the health and wealth benefits that come with the kingdom and you're gonna have a nice 401k package and it's gonna be really, really good and all your relationships, there's gonna be no tension. Even though we didn't have that, even though we didn't have that, And because now love is in you, uh, because you love, everybody's gonna love you. Jesus was love incarnate and they killed him. We killed him. We killed the most loving person on the planet. Do you you get where I'm going with this? This No matter how loving you are, you're not gonna be loved by everyone. There's a God factor in what it is that we're doing. And so we think through this and I think we need to think through it on a deeper level. We hear this today though, I, I'm not suggesting that Jesus doesn't heal people, I believe he does, I pray for that, and this year I'm increasing in my f- faith in that, I'm asking God to heal, I, I really believe that with all my heart. But if I were to be straight with you, and I, and I have just, I stand before God and I'm, I'm, I'm asking God to make me as clear as I can this year, just, I mean, not mincing words, I'm telling you, I walk with a lot of people and I just believe the devil, the devil has an easier job than I think he should. The devil wants to deceive us, right? That's his big thing. He's the father of lies. He's the deceiver. He's the accuser of the brethren. But you know what the Bible talks about in James? And I've been mulling this over. The Bible talks about self-deception. The Bible talks about those who hear the word and do not do what it says, Take heed lest you deceive yourself. You can hear the word, not do it, and what ends up happening is you just X the devil out of the whole equation because you've deceived yourself. I've deceived myself because I think in my knowing that my knowing is actually what I live, and it's not true. I've gotten good at hearing the words, but I'm not good at living them out. I'm not depending on God to help me live the life that he's called me to live. And so then it all becomes about reading those words and doing a devotional on those words and journaling those words and then getting together with other people and reading those words, but it never really becomes about living those words out in the life that you and I live, where it's transformative for us and so much so that other people that see what we are wanna be that way too. And it's not even our agenda, I'm not trying to live that way, I'm just living life, and people that see the integrity of my life, they trust me, they feel like I'm responsible, they would write me into their will, amen, they would, you know, there's just something about my life that emits God to them because it truly has to be. And when you're living in discipleship, that is what it looks like, but I, I think With like all the messages today, I told you, maybe if you were here last class, I said, I'm concerned that too many people wanna be inspired and not instructed. They wanna be encouraged and not equipped. They wanna be touched and not trained. And that's gotta go. Jesus walked up to people and he said, follow me. He wasn't playing around, he wasn't joking around, he wasn't begging people, he wasn't trying to show off. He was like, I want you, I came for you, I'm gonna give my life for you, come and follow me, everything that I'm gonna do. And he wasn't this triumphant leader, this king that was gonna conquer everything and everybody. He was gonna conquer sin and he was calling people to follow him so that they could lay their lives down literally in death so that other people could have life one day, It's why Jesus cut crowds in half. It's why Jesus actually questioned people when they said, can we follow you? I read those verses to you and he said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You sure you want to follow me? Because I don't know where I'm going tonight. It doesn't sound like what a lot of people were looking for when they wanted to follow him. And he was clarifying it with people. He was like making sure. I mean, we beg people. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. I'm, I mean, I am glad you're here, okay? Because I'm like one of you, you know? I'm not, like, I'm not like the big guy, you know? So I'm one of you speaking to you. But my point is, is that it's just different with him. I, I find Jesus to be quite a bit different. The, m- the more I get to know him, I find him to be quite a bit different than some of the ways that I was told. He's so unafraid to say the hardest thing that needs to be said. He is so unafraid to, to, to ask the most provocative question that I, that I won't even ask myself. He, he is like that. I, I preached this last Sunday out of John five, this question that Jesus walks up to a person that's been sick for 38, 38 years and he says, do you wanna be well? I just wouldn't walk into a hospital and walk into the cancer patient ward and walk up to somebody who's suffering and say, do you really wanna be better? I mean, they're in the hospital. (laughs) They have a condition that I bet they hate and they're even there to get better. Would I walk up to that person and say, do you want? Jesus walked up to people and said stuff like that. A blind man was following him, crying out, son of David, have mercy on me. They were trying to quiet them down. And Jesus says, let him come to me. And he comes and he goes, what do you want me to do? (laughs) I want to (laughs) see. And then Jesus asks Peter in John chapter 21, he says it to him three times, do you love me? I mean, can you imagine, do do you follow a Jesus that would ask you the question and not just assume it? Do you really love me? right. Sometimes I think we've made up a Jesus in our own mind that scripture doesn't even talk about. I mean, there are pieces of, I'm not suggesting he's not loving, I'm just saying that he he knows how to cut right across the humanity part of us in a way that if we did it to one another, it would just be quite frankly offensive. And we live in a very sensitive part of the world as well, and that's maybe another thing that I could say in the midst of this, no questions, awesome. He came to bring eternal life and uh, in discipleship, we get to co-labor with him. We get to be with him in his offer of eternal life to all humanity. After receiving eternal life, then we kind of turn around and co-labor with him and then be a part of the plan and the mission of God so that others could, could also participate. I think that it's turned into something. Are you, <clears throat> you're kind of sensing what I'm laying down. I'm, I'm saying clearly it's turned into something other than what it is, right? I've been a part of a lot of evangelism programs, taught evangelism classes, been, been a part of a lot of ministries. And I get, these days, I get uncomfortable around any ministries that are always scared. They're always scared that we don't say too much or we don't offend anybody or we don't do this or I just go, at what point do you trust God in all this? We go behind closed doors and we pray and then we come out and we're scared. And then we sing songs in worship like, you make me brave. Are you with me on this? Like, where's the God factor? Like, where are we believing in God doing miracles through our life, like things we couldn't do? I mean, disrupting, I mean, when Paul went to cities, They stoned him at times, why? Because he disrupted the city to the degree where people that were worshiping idols saw the God that he worshiped and they go, wow, these idols are just gold and silver and wood. I think I'm worshiping the wrong thing. I don't wanna buy these anymore. And they would put the silversmiths out of business and the silversmiths would stir up a riot so that they would stone Paul because they were losing their business of selling idols and continuing idolatry in the city. That's what was happening. I actually think Western Washington needs to be stirred I really believe that. I I believe that we trust our intellect way too much, our analyzation, God's not impressed with us. He loves his people, but he is not impressed with how smart we are, or how articulate we are, or how sensitive we are. He wants us to just trust him, right? He wants us to believe him again. Miracles, healing, signs, wonders. When we share the simple gospel, we stumble and we fumble over it like, oh, I'm sorry, I probably shouldn't have said it that way, and they're like, I wanna give my life to Jesus anyways. Because despite you and your perfect presentation, and some people even have the, you know, the tie, you know, they come to your door, and they, they, they hold, you know, I want to, this perfect package, there's more. But see, when you're a disciple and you're following Jesus, you, you realize that you've got to have him move, you've got to have him do something. Hey, it's your plan anyways, I'm following you, I'm following you, it's got, you gotta show up. You've got to do something because as I'm following you, I'm believing your word, I am hanging on what you're saying. And those prayers make a whole lot more sense when you are following him. You're believing him, you're looking for him to move and do stuff in and through your life. It's incredible, right? This is this shift that we need. I need more of it in, and I'm pressing into this year. I want to talk to you a little bit about considering the cost of discipleship. We talked about understanding the invitation. Now these scriptures talk to us about considering the cost. In Luke chapter 14, verse 25, it's, it's really, a, I think it's a clear passage that's been obscured a bit, but let's just go to it. Verse 25 says, now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, oh my goodness. Yes, and even his own life, and you should underline this. Ladies and gentlemen, this isn't me. He cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks, asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his own possessions." Is anybody uncomfortable yet? Therefore, salt is good, and this is the part that I think I, I never really understood a whole lot, and I, I, th- I think I understand it better now, but I, I, I always didn't get why he said this. Therefore, salt is good, but if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out And then he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. There were crowds that came to Jesus. I mean, can you imagine like an Easter service? At our church, we have like a lot more people that come. I mean, just tons more people, you know. Maybe they come once a year, maybe it's out of tradition, maybe it's because a family member invited them, but we have this this huge crowd of people and they come here or, or other places. And as they gather, it'd be like just reading this. Can you imagine like a modern version of of this? And reading, I mean, this isn't what gets read. I can guarantee you that. But but this is what, the crowds came to Jesus and this is what he said. This is what came out of his mouth. I I wonder what it would be like to be a disciple like listening to Jesus, like kind of sitting there going like. I mean, just bumping Peter going like looking at people's faces as they were like super excited to get a loaf of bread and kinda like, I'm not really sure if I came to the right meeting, right? Not really sure if we're in line for the right thing. And the crowds came and they wanted to be around Jesus, they wanted to see Jesus, but did they wanna follow Jesus? The reason that Jesus would say some of these provocative things was that people could be able to consider what it was that they said they wanted to do. As we read that one verse, and he says to them, foxes have holes and birds have I are you, do you really wanna do that what you're, I'll follow you, but let me first go say goodbye to everybody and he says, no, if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom. Can you imagine how stuck that person would feel? So I can't go back and say goodbye to my son? I mean, it's like, what are you talking about? Like, why would this come out of your mouth? He really knows how to clear a crowd, that's for sure. And it seems opposite from what we tend towards today, the issue, he issues the call to the crowd, but he emphasizes the cost. He wants them to consider the cost. He wants them to calculate the cost. That's what he says to them. I mean, who, who would go and build a tower? Who would even lay the foundation if he hadn't already sat down and calculated what this is gonna cost? Because if he started building and he couldn't finish, he would be ridiculed by everybody. The, the point is completion. The point is committing yourself, considering the cost so that you could commit yourself to the, to the long haul a couple of things, I just wanna <clears throat> mention them. The cost of discipleship means that Jesus always comes before others. That's what he's saying. He says to them, if you don't hate your own father, mother, wife, children, you cannot be my disciple. That means that Jesus has to come before other people. He, he's clarifying with them, he's saying, listen, if anybody else comes before me, you won't be my disciple. He, he's not patronizing them. He's not speaking down to them. He wouldn't speak down to you and me. What he's trying to say is if you want to follow and you want to be my disciple, if you allow the voice of anybody else that you love, anybody else that's close, he didn't even say neighbors and president. He didn't say any of that. He said people that are close. If you allow those voices of the closest people in your life to become stronger or greater or more important than my voice, you will not be my disciple. It's not even possible. Because at some point, a person could say something and they're gonna tug you away from what I say. And the minute that that happens, you move out of the path of discipleship. You move out of the way of following Jesus and you start following somebody else. You start following somebody else's idea. And he's truth, truth. He's the living way, he's always right. Everybody else is not right and so there's obviously a way in which we go about doing that. There are a lot of people I'm sure that say this is what God's telling me or this is what Jesus says or this is what it means and they're wrong and I'm not, I'm not necessarily speaking to all of that. Obviously, there are people that get it wrong but I'm saying simply as a, as, a, as a theological truth, he is saying that he must be before all others in our life. He has to be. And I read this today, and I was just thinking, I've, I've been reading it, and even as we've reviewed it over the last year in our Life Journal series, I was just kind of like, "It's like, Jesus, like, are you, is your voice more important to me than everybody else's voice? That's a provocative question. Is your voice more important to me than anybody else's voice. Because there's been times where I've been told other things by people. They've said, well, you can't do this or you shouldn't be able to do this. I've got lots of stories. One time I was at, <clears throat> I was a youth pastor and I was working in a teen center. And um, there was a young man there and I, I we had just served dinner. We, we, we paid for all the dinner, we would come and serve and there were teens that would come from all over the place and and so after serving dinner, we sat down and ate with everybody and I just unashamedly would talk about Jesus at every opportunity that I that I could get. And so I'm talking to this guy and he's talking about his depression and some of his issues. And he asked me a question and I start talking to him about the Lord. And um, another guy that was listening got uncomfortable and he told the person that was in charge of the teen center. And then that guy calls me at the end of the night, uh, call, or calls me over to where he was and we sat down and talked. And he basically just told me, you know, you can't, here you can't talk to people about Jesus, you can't talk to people about your religion, you, you can't do that. What was interesting though, is that I had been serving at that teen center, paying for it out of my pocket for quite some time. And I had heard people talk about Buddha and uh, you name it, I, I had heard every ideology <laughs> being spouted out of the leaders and all these people. And usually we tell people to be ultra sensitive. We want you to be sensitive. We want you to, maybe there's a time for tact, but like there was that, and I remember that night, I just thought, no, I'm not, I'm not going to bow to this voice because I feel compelled that this young man that I was talking to was worth me sharing Jesus with in that moment. I knew that was something that I needed to do. I just knew it. The word helps me understand that. I'm sitting there with him. How in the world am I gonna let him talk to me like this and not bring up the real hope that I have? I mean, there's, you know, you kind of do this kind of thing and you, you know. I'm not saying I don't, I I don't, I'm not saying I don't respect people that have to do that at times, but I'm just not, I just can't, I can't do it, you know. So I tell the guys like, sir, I, I appreciate what you're saying and I understand that you feel that you have the right to do that, but I've sat here and I've listened to everybody spout off everything from Buddha to this and that and everything else. And so it, this clearly isn't a place where you guys are anti-religious because I've heard it all here. And when I was talking to this young man about it was true for my life. It's the actual reason why I'm here. The only reason, sir, that I am actually serving you and paying for this and being here week in, week, week out or, or month in, month out, the only reason I'm doing this is because Jesus changed my life. That's a fact that you get to wrestle with, but it's true for me and I'm not trying to hide that, nor am I coming here just to proselytize. I am here to serve everybody but you're telling me that I can't talk openly about the very thing that everybody else seems to be okay with talking about their side of it or their versions of it. And I'm not going, I just don't, I just don't feel like that's something I can do. And so however that lands on you, it lands on you. I remember that conversation. It was just about like that. And he kind of just looks at me and didn't really know what to say. I sort of pushed him into a corner, but um, I told him, I'll respect you. I'll respect what, what's going on here. Clearly I'm serving, but. I, I, don't, I didn't do anything wrong. I just didn't do anything wrong. And, and I think this young man needed to hear what I had to say. So, and he said, okay. <laughs> he just kind of backed off. Sometimes another voice will speak. And if we're not hearing the voice of the Lord, we're just gonna go with what it says. I mean, that's just what's gonna happen. And let me ask you a question. How long do you listen to that voice before at the end of the day, you're just not going? saying what Jesus says and you're just not doing what Jesus does. I mean, at what point do you just sort of wake up and go, I have bowed down to everything but the voice of God. I, 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 think, I think that um, what needs to happen is an eruption in the people of God to be fearless. That's what I think. I think fear settles on us and we sophisticate sophisticated, we call it the other things. And I think when the people of God get courageous and they're not bowing to other voices. I actually think that's when revival will come. I think when two things happen, I think when people come out of their secret sin, number one, because we can't be addicted to, you know, all kinds of sexual sin in the closet and then, and then pray for revival, that can't happen. That's okay, so we gotta get clean. And as we come out of our secrets and we become courageous, I think revival will happen. Th- that, that's what I believe. And part of that is just simply following Jesus and his voice being more important than others. There's gonna be a conflict, I I wanna promise you that. Can I just say it to you like this? There will be conflicting voices in your life and in my life that will tell us what to do and how to do it and there will be choices that we have to make at different times, and we're gonna have to discern the voice of God. We will have to discern the voice of God in the midst of the other voices, and Jesus calls us as disciples. He says, "Is my voice does my voice come before everybody else's voice? It's the provocative question that we have to answer in an ongoing way. It is required, he says. The second is the cost of discipleship means that Jesus always comes before ourselves. He says, this, "There's this paradoxical invitation: winning by losing, gaining by giving, leading by serving. Following Jesus means that we first deny ourselves, which means to dethrone ourselves. I would suggest to you that, that that means like our opinions and all of our our of our, our ideas. I'm not suggesting he wants us to throw down the toilet, our personality and." And those kinds of things, the distinctions that we have are some of the preferences that we have that are are simply just make up part of who we are. But I'm saying denying self means self first, denying selfishness, uh, denying self-centeredness. Are we at the center? That's the Christianity of today. The Christianity of today is what can God do for me? How can God make my life better? How can God fix all my problems? That's the Christianity of today. But real Christianity is where Jesus comes from heaven to earth, gives his life so that sin can be forgiven, that people can be restored back to the Father, and then everybody who names the name of Jesus now has that same mission in this life, and they spend their entire selves, their entire life on helping everybody else know what they know to go where they go. That's what this entire life is about. It's about the mission of God. It's not about being a better you. It's about, it's about denying you and being like him. That's what all of this life is about. And to get it twisted is to get it wrong. And I think a lot of our issues and, and uh, our disappointments, they're attached to us not getting something that we think that we're supposed to get when in reality it might just be that we're not following Jesus in one way or another. It might just be that we are not listening to God. It might just be that we're not doing what he's wanting us to do. It might just be that we are all about ourselves. Instead of all about him, that might be what's really wrong. And until we repent from that, we are not going to find satisfaction. We're not going to find transformation. We will not find what, war, what our hearts are really looking for. We won't find it at all. It's not going to happen because we were made for God, by God, for his purposes and for his glory. And self-seeking, self-satisfaction, self-centeredness always leaves us wanting. It always leaves us seeking and searching and wandering, and it never satisfies it never, ever satisfies. It just won't, it can't, it doesn't. That's the point of discipleship is that we follow him. We speak when he speaks. We go where he goes. We do what he, he does. Denying self, we dethrone ourselves and Jesus sits on the throne of our life and there's a humility that is embedded into us where, yeah, you can be courageous and you can be a bold person, but you're also that same kind of person where you're humble before God. You tremble before the words of God. It's no wonder why the enemy would attack the word. Is the Bible really legitimate? I mean, come on, you know, people wrote it, and I mean, really, the Holy Spirit, seriously, I mean, whoo. People wrote it, and scribes transliterated it in language after language and century after century you really think that this this bible is from god i mean Come on, there's progression, right? I mean, we're living in today's world, right? I mean, things should change. I mean, get with the times. I mean, this ancient book that we have a hard time interpreting and understanding, you really think that's God's word? I mean, God breathed through human beings. I mean, human beings like you and me, look how fickle we are, look how strange we are, look how we get it wrong all the time. You really think that God would give his words to people and preserve it through time and history? You really think that, I mean, the enemy will come, dismantle and dislodge the entirety of our basis of Christianity, he'll attack that to get us to undermine what it is that God really is calling us to believe and calling us to do. And then if he can't do that, he'll get us to believe that just being a good religiously devoted person to a building is what Jesus wants us to do. That's not what Jesus calls us to do. I mean, uh, we live busy lives. We actually live in the, you you guys know this, right? You live in the busiest part of the world, almost, it seems like. And I don't mean like, uh, you know, you think of like Hong Kong and some of these other places that are faster in terms of like walking around, you like get overwhelmed. This is a very, very, very overwhelmingly busy place where we live. I've been to a lot of places in the nation and I'm telling you where we live is, is the busiest by far, it feels like to me. The most distracting, maybe not the most full in terms of what we have going on, but it's the most distracting, it feels like. And, I, I, and this call of Jesus to deny self and to daily follow him and to pick up our cross, which is, which is really, it's a death sentence. It's as applicable today as it, as it was then. Carrying the cross is about choosing to give your life for something greater than your life. That's what carrying the cross really means. Jesus carried the sins of the world. The cross was the instrument of death, but we were the point. And that's for us the very same thing. Why would we consider this cost something to be paid? Why would we realistically, why would we do that? We would do it because other people are worth it. We would do it because of the heart of the father. Other people are worth it. That's the point of our life now. It's not about us anymore. It's about giving ourselves for others now. So Christianity is not about just getting in a building and studying the book more, it's about living the book. It's about living the book. And so when I ask you this question, when I say, are you following Jesus? I'm not asking you if you're just reading the book. I'm not asking you if you just pray a prayer. I'm not asking you if you just believe in Jesus. I'm asking you, are you living the words? Are you trusting it? Are are you at a place where you feel like vulnerable because you know that you're not perfectly living the words and you need his help to live what you're reading? (laughs) Do you feel the fear of God on the Bible when you read it? Like, oh my gosh, like look at those words. Like he's inviting me into that. Lord, I need you for this. Confident that he'll do that, but knowing that you're humble before God because you just can't do this without him. I mean, is that the kind of life that we live. I can admit to you that's not always the kind of life that I'm living, and yet it is what we're called to. Um, The last thing I wanna simply talk to you about is making the commitment, and this is just really simple. Making the commitment to discipleship. As we look at the call, we see it's important to understand the invitation, we consider the cost, but ultimately we need to make the commitment. And commitment means pledge, promise, obligation, not in the sense of what I said earlier, but engagement, involvement, the state of being bound emotionally, intellectually, to a course of action, to another person or persons. And of course, we're talking about, we are binding ourselves to the person and the way of Jesus Christ. Not to just believing in him, but to the way of Jesus Christ. The Lord wants our commitment to be strong, and I believe our warfare, the warfare that we face is going to be over your commitment. It's going to be over your commitment. I have this sense in me, here's this thing that I feel. I don't want people to question their salvation, but I don't want people to assume that they're living in and doing everything that they're supposed to be doing just because they said yes to Jesus. Right, there's that, there's that tension. And I'm just, I, like, I'm literally just reading what it says. I'm not even trying to interpret that for you or make you feel bad or make you feel, I don't want to make you feel good, I don't want to make you feel bad, but I want to faithfully read what it says and honestly talk about what it is that he means. Does he really mean for, oh, oh, we're saved by grace? Of course we're saved by grace. We could never save ourselves. It's not by works, lest any of us should boast, but when you're saved, the Bible says several times that good trees produce good fruit, and now I'm just, I'm not making any assumptions anymore that people are truly Christians. I'm just not making that assumption anymore. Just because they put the check in the box because they say yes to Jesus, because they show up at church, I just don't believe that anymore. I have found time and time again where I'm not even sure. I'm sitting with somebody and we're talking about all the problems in their life, and the first question that I have in my mind is Are you really saved? And I'm a pastor. And that's just not something you're supposed to always ask people. You know, you're supposed to like be kind, and I, mean, I think it is. I think it's one of the kindest things I can do is actually ask somebody: Are you really born again? Do you really know Jesus? Do you really love Jesus? Do you really want? Do you want to follow Him? Are you willing to die? I mean, that is what they—that is what they were signing up for. They were signing up for death. And I just don't know how to. I don't know how to convey this in a way to faithfully. I don't know, to faithfully say it and yet somehow not be a hypocrite, I, I don't know if, if I can. I just, I just wanna say it to you like, they signed up to die. And I don't, I don't think that today we're signing up to die. I think we're just kinda signing up for a little bit better life. That's what I think, I think at times. I, I'm not even saying you, I just, that's what I feel like I hear a lot of, is I want a better life than I had. Well, you can have a new life, but a new life doesn't look like what you want it to look like. It's gotta look like following him. It's gotta look like all kinds of like vulnerabilities and insecurities. Like we're always like uh, people come to my office, they go, Man, like I just feel so insecure, and I'm like. I'll tell you, a life of faith is insecure, but you, you learn to cross the threshold of the insecurity. Faith means that you can overcome the things that you feel, not that you'll never have them. That's, that's not the way it works, man. You're gonna have, you, in order to, to, when you experience fear, it means you're gonna over, you can overcome it, but you're not trying to live a life where you're ridin' yourself of everything that you're ever gonna feel. You just learn to, with God, overcome the things in your, in your life. So I tell people, like, when I live by faith, when I'm trusting in God for whether it's him taking care of me or taking care of other people, maybe, maybe, maybe I should say it to you like this when we talk about the commitment. When I talk with people and I feel like they don't understand what it means to depend on God for their own life, like, because ha- maybe you have it good, maybe you have, You've got a house, you've got a car, you've got a good job, paycheck comes in steadily, and you don't really see yourself getting rocked. You don't see yourself getting knocked off the boat. So you're good, you're secure, everything's stable for you. And you know what I think we need to do as people that maybe have that, if that's where you're at in life? You need to embed yourself into the lives of other people who aren't where you are. That's what you gotta do. You gotta put yourself into the lives of other people that don't have what you have. You gotta, go, you gotta be involved in the mission field. You need to be involved in people that don't have anything and see them trusting God for, for food in the morning. You understand what I'm saying? We need, we need to, as those people who've, who've got the security blanket over us, we've gotta step out of that bubble and get into discipleship where we're plugging ourselves into places where we've, we've got to see our commitment actually work. If not for ourselves, because we've got all that security, security, we've gotta see it happen for somebody else. That's part of our call. Jesus is about that. He's he's about restoring the world. He's about leading people to him. And so I look at the issue of commitment. The original call was not just to believe, but it was to follow. 70% of Christian kids, I just looked at this, abandoned the roots of their faith while attending the first year of university. Our, our Christianity is sometimes an inch deep where our kids, they get knocked out of following Jesus their first year of going to college. That, to me, does not sound like the person of Jesus to me. I'm just gonna say what I think right now. And I believe, as, as my wife and I raise our children, one of the things that was happening when our, when our older boys were going through high school is we would get a little fearful that our kids were getting influenced by the culture and they were getting influenced by you know, the music, and they were getting influenced by the friends and all the people that didn't have values and more, all that stuff, and, and every time we would like, feel fearful, we would have to remind ourselves, Jesus is bigger, but he's not bigger if we're not discipling them because he's not known if, he, if we're not discipling them. He might be bigger, but he's not revealed. So that's what I'm saying is, is that discipleship first needs to happen in our home, and we feel vulnerable because maybe it's not, but we've, one of the things of my heart, and I, and I told my wife this last year, is I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to give everything you have to your kids, everything. What good is what I have if I can't even give it all to my children, my knowledge, my Bible reading, my Bible study, my mission trips, the experiences, the miracles that I've seen, the changed lives? If I'm not even telling my kids the stories or reading them the scriptures and compelling them and calling them now what good is what I have if I can't even pass it on to my children? Discipleship. The call of my discipleship is to first be in line with Jesus and secondarily, to give away what Jesus gives to me, all of what Jesus gives to me. If you're a parent, let me compel you as a parent. We need to give everything that God gives us to our kids, not one drop should we waste, none of it, all. Spend our time giving all that we have to them. If you're not a parent, you've got a lot to give away to other people. You've gotta find the people of your anointing. (laughs) I don't know who they are, I don't know where they are, but. You need to come alive to who that is it's part of your call it's part of what god calls you to and i don't know where or what that is your commitment will be tested by opportunities that will bring about change for good or for bad your commitment to jesus is going to be tested my commitment to jesus is going to be tested time and time and time again and we've got to remain faithful to him and by the holy spirit and his power and his word we can do that In the Gospels, we find moments where people deserted Jesus. It's not what we want to talk about. I came to Jesus, I think it's 17 years ago. And I can honestly tell you, the five or six guys that came to Christ in the same time that I did, there's only two of us that walk with Jesus right now. Two of us. This is very real to me. I mean, this is very real to me. It's one of those things where it's like, I want to just kind of share, I'm just sharing my heart with you. I'm wrapping this up. You don't know I'm wrapping it up, but in my heart, I'm wrapping it up. This is real to me. I, I love miracles and healing, I love all that stuff, but like, we've gotta get the foundation into people because folks are getting knocked off their, fa- their faith. They're getting knocked off the foundation of their faith. And I, I think that if we preach the message, I think if we preach the person and the message of Jesus Christ, the power of it, I think we'll come back to the church in a way where we're, we're not falling away so easily, Right? I just think, you know, Jesus turns to the disciples at one point and he says to them, as other people are walking away, as other people are leaving him, he he has a way of cutting crowds in half. He's He's really good at that if you haven't noticed. As they're walking away, he looks at his disciples, he says, are you gonna leave too? And then Peter says something pretty amazing. He says, where would we go? You have the words of life. That's the kind of faith that I want people to have. That's the kind of faith that we want to have. Faith in Jesus, where we're not rocked. In John 21, 18, there's this story. Jesus rises from the dead. He meets with Peter, I told you. Remember, he asked him, do you love me? He says it three times. And at the end, it, Peter, it says Peter was grieved that Jesus asked him that three times. He was grieved. He says, you know all things. And this is what it says in verse 18. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, he says this to Peter, listen to this, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not wanna go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And I want to repeat that, the death that, Jesus would, that Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. This just rocks me right here. He comes to restore Peter. You know how God is good, right? Jesus comes, when you fall, when I fall, he comes to restore you, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know all things. I mean, how can I say anything? You don't, I mean, you know, you know all things. You know if I say yes, you know it's a yes, you know if it's a no. He has this encounter with Peter where Peter denied him, he had betrayed him, in a sense, he had walked away from him, he had declared, I will not leave you, and he does. Jesus restores him, the gracious Jesus that we all know and we all love. But then he says to him, When you get old, you're gonna stretch out your hands and you're gonna be led to places that you don't wanna go. Other people are going to be in charge of those things. You're going to have to go through some stuff that doesn't doesn't seem like this is what I signed up for. He just tells him right up front, you're gonna die. He said this to him, so that he might know what kind of death in which he would give himself for to glorify God. I, I, I'm just, I just wanna tell you this tonight, I'm convicted by this, I just need to be, I, I kinda sit and think like, would I, not would I give my life to the Lord or for the Lord or that kind of a thing, but like, what would it be like for me to hear that to, by Jesus, like for him to say that to me in the midst of my life with four kids and married and a house and living in Mill Creek and being a pastor here and having, having whatever I have, all that I have. I mean, and Jesus look at me and say, when you get older, Ben, you know, when you were younger, you went wherever you wanted, you did whatever you wanted. But when you get older, you're going to stretch out your hands and other people are going to lead you to places you didn't sign up for and you didn't want to go. And I'm saying this to you so that you would know that in your death, your martyred death, you will glorify God. I mean, I, don't know what it would be like to hear that, to know that that's what I'm signing up for. I, I don't know what it would be like, but I think that's actually in one way or another that's what we're signing up for. When I was uh, first gave my life to the Lord, we would go hear missionaries and they would say, I'm not saying that you're going to give your life you're gonna die for Christ. It was always like they would pat you on the back and say, I'm not saying that you're gonna have to die for Jesus. I wonder if we would just start telling people, you might have to die for Jesus. You might. Is that okay with you? To lose actually everything, everything, to lose your life, is it okay for you? How can you preach the call of discipleship without getting down to the root where we just destroy the fear of death? How, How can we preach it? We look at ISIS and we look at this and we look at that and it's, 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 how can we get down to it and really just talk honestly for a second and just say, should we be afraid of anything? I wanna confront your fear tonight. Are you afraid of dying in the name of Jesus? You, like the missionaries would say, you may never have to do that. But I'm just like, what would, what would it be like if we were not afraid of anything? We weren't afraid of what people thought of us. We weren't afraid of the rejection that we might have because you know why? We're not afraid of death. We know that in life or in death, we glorify God. The call of my discipleship is that in life or in death, I glorify God. And when I'm not afraid of death, I'm not afraid of anything. I'm not afraid of what you think of me. I'm not afraid of what this person that I'm trying to talk to about Jesus thinks of me. I'm not afraid of what that person at the teen center thinks of me. I am afraid of them going to hell without knowing Jesus. That's the fear of God on my life. That's the fear that I have. That's the fear that I want. That's the fear that I think the call of discipleship places on our life. (laughs) We used to talk about hell, and now it's not popular to talk about hell and an eternity without Jesus Christ. We used to talk about, I grew up, 17 years ago when I came to Christ, we would talk about hell. We don't talk about it anymore. We talk about how heaven is for real, and it is. But hell is for real. And I was reading these verses time and time again, getting ready for this series, and I'm like, oh. I just don't think I'm in the place that that I need to be right now, but I'm I'm, I'm on my way. I want to ask you, are you a disciple of Jesus? I want to call you to discipleship in 2017. I want to call you to a radical following of Jesus, and I want to tell you up front, you don't have to be afraid of even death, and if you can absorb that, if you can grab a hold of that I'm telling you this year will turn a lot of things around for you not because everything in your life's gonna get better but because you're going to change into that person that he wants you to be because you're following in his way and things start to happen inside your heart they start to happen inside your mind because of who whose shadow is over you you're following in the dust of your rabbi you're following in the shadow of the Almighty